0: Dear audience, welcome to episode three of Thinking Psychologist. If something has brought you to this episode three, the previous two episodes must have caught your attention and you found some value in the discussion that we have had. And if you had not yet listened to what the two podcasts were all about, just to give you an idea, uh, thinking psychologist is all about decoding the human mind and figuring out what goes inside our inside our head. It works at three levels, which is an experiential level. We talk to experts in this field. We talk to a lot of scientific experts in this field. And then we look at the spiritual leaders in the field of spirituality and then try to decode the human mind. In episode one, we spoke to Professor Paul Klein, and we spoke about how we are being molested and tormented by our false self. In episode two, we spoke to a UX designer who who gave us an idea that how all the decisions that we make in our life are are mostly emotional and not rational. So when we make a decision, it's basically emotional. Then we make up stories and uh, you know give us ourselves false. we are we're talking about a really really interesting story. The story is what you would have felt as well in your life and it's an experience of getting into a state where your performance is at a peak, you lose sense of time and uh, you 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 feel like a different person altogether. With that in perspective, you know we have a fantastic guest today with us. Uh, her name is Frisia Jackson and um, we would like to welcome her to the show. Welcome Fricia
1: thanks ash i'm ready i did my power pose for my first podcast experience
0: ah super <laughs> you know if you get a chance you log on to thinking psychologist youtube uh youtube channel and then you can see her live as was talking so you can guess what power pose means <laughs> hey, <laughs> just to give me an idea about who is an industry psychologist. She's been uh, she's been she's been working with a lot of startups as well as uh, trying to look look at the organizational structures and look at how human behavior can be included with uh, with with jobs to gain maximum efficiency. So uh, you know, without further ado, I'm gonna pass on the ball to Friesha to just do an introduction for our audience, please.
1: Sure. Yeah. So happy to be here. Um, Maximum efficiency, but I also hope that's uh, happiness as well. So I think those have to go hand in hand, not just efficiency. Um, So a little bit of background about me. Uh, As Ash mentioned, I have my master's in industrial and organizational psychology, and I chose that route because I I thought, "Wow, wow, this is amazing that we can bring psychology and human behavior to what you spend most of your life doing, which is work. But I also realized that so much of the experience that I got to have through education, through um, you know my experiences in the workplace, not everyone gets to have. And so I'm really trying to buy some of my videos that actually Ash saw, and that's how I got invited here, um, kind of democratize education. I don't wanna use that it's maybe a sensationalist term, but to be able to break down the barriers to education around productivity, around happiness, that I think individuals could really change their lives if they knew. So that's a little bit about me and my journey.
0: Ah, uh, super, super. Thanks. Thanks for that brief introduction. You know, and, and really interesting point you bring out there is that, you know, um, education should be accessible freely to everyone. And that is where me and you, as a millennials, come in and try to try to leverage these uh, new new connectivity technologies that can spread spread the word out there. So so thanks for that brief introduction. So coming to today's today's topic and you know uh, me and Frisia has been have been discussing lately on 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 a, on, a, on, a, on a particular experience that a person feels so let me just give you my example so you know I do a lot of customer presentations I do a lot of you know uh, coaching for students that do a crowd of thousand plus. And before the presentation, it's all about preparation, preparation, preparation and, you know, what what you can expect and there are sort of self-doubts sort of, you know, aha moments that how you can interact with the people. But most of the time what happens is once I step onto the stage, uh, it's, it's like I lose sense of time. And, you know, everything that I have studied and I have practiced and what I want to communicate just comes out very beautifully and in couple of instances it has happened that you know uh 2 3 hours have just went past like this and you know and at the end of the presentation it's like you know everyone is coming down what a fantastic presentation sometimes it even happens that i lose the bits and pieces of what i have communicated to the to the audience cuz okay. i yeah <laughs> And you know, and uh, this uh, this you know this is probably what what uh, state of flow is all about. But in today's podcast, we're going to be trying to break it down into individual pieces, and try to understand what flow is all about, and then then try to see if if there's certain techniques, tips, and tricks that every you know all of our listeners can uh, can can listen to and adapt as uh, as it go, and also look at some scientific experiences and experiments that have happened. So all you, Freesia.
1: That is such a great story to show what flow is. So flow is when you're so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. And you already said that around like time, going away, um, not feeling that self-consciousness as well. Um, and where this comes from is sent uh, Csikszentmihalyi which today I'm talking about a lot of researchers with difficult to pronounce names. So I hope that was correct. I I Googled it. Um, And he really wanted to understand happiness. Uh, And he grew up during World War II and saw so many people losing their jobs, losing their families. And some people were still able to be happy even when those external things were happening to him. And so he looked at and he used uh, a totally novel way of, of studying this which is called experience sampling methodology and this was during the time of pagers so he would page people and basically just say hey send me back uh, you know how what are you feeling right now and what are you doing and he was trying to see what are the key things that lead to happiness and i think most people would think that you know, relaxation, leisure, like on vacation, you would be most happy. And that's just not the case. The times when you are most happy, most uh, feeling what he calls an optimal experience, is when your challenges, like the challenge of what you're doing meets the level of skill that you have. Uh, So I'm going to try and I know this is backwards, so I'll do it over here. So if challenge is here and skill is here, uh, when you are at a point where you're being challenged just beyond the level of your skills, you are going to be in this flow state. Whereas when you are being, you're not being challenged and you have the skills to meet that you're going to be bored. If you're being challenged beyond your skills, you're gonna be anxious. So in your story, it just shows that you're just really great at doing presentations, but it's just enough to make yourself feel challenged. Um, and there's there's a few things that need to be in place in order for people to feel flow beyond just that challenge and skills. That's making sure that you're you have a clear goal. So I'm assuming when you go into a customer presentation or you know to uh, your students, you have some type of learning objective that you're trying to get across and you have feedback, right? So you're mm-hmm. seeing the people there and how they're responding to it. And that's part of the process of getting into this flow state. And you might even be intrinsically motivated. Would you say that?
0: Um, oh, definitely, yes, you know <laughs> now now that you break it down into such a smaller pieces, it, it definitely makes sense. And you know, uh, coming talking about the x and the y axis and the the skill versus challenge the gap that you said, I guess it it very much applies to the the video game industry as well, because you know, because it's it's it becomes really engaging, really engaging once you when you keep playing and the difficulty keeps increasing and your skill is increasing. And you know, so so to mash that would be a really good trick, but but you know what what I'd like to understand from you is you know uh, the level of a skill and the and the the challenge which is gonna come. How how do you measure that? You know, is is there a parametric way? Otherwise, it becomes too subjective, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and I like your point around video games because I think that's an example of using flow and the psychology almost against us to make us addicted and to create (laughs) uh, potentially bad habits. (laughs) Um, So it can be used in any way, right? We don't necessarily want to lose track of time when we're doing something that might not be the best use of our time. Uh, So I think that's an interesting point. When it comes to challenge and skill, it is a subjective experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is something that is unique to every individual. And I'd like to point out that, you know, what makes me go into flow might not necessarily what makes you go into flow. So there is a, there's inherent differences in what, first of all, my skill level is, what I find challenging, but then also what is intrinsically motivating mm-hmm. and what will get you excited enough to lose <laughs> track of time and get into that optimal experience
0: so, talking about this intrinsic motivation again you know just a just a little bit of more uh, more thoughts about intrinsic motivation so you know what what motivates you might be really different from you know what your field of work might be or uh, You know, those are two different aspects. So, how do you how do you bring that together, so that, for example, I was talking about achieving maximum efficiency in whatever you do, and if you are into a place where your your job doesn't require to be intrinsically motivated, and those are two parallel paths. How how do we deal with that?
1: Such a good question. And maybe I'll even talk about job crafting now, because I feel a a perfect segue. Uh, So job crafting is based off of work by Wurzesniewski, which I told you, these were Mm -hmm. difficult names that I'm going to be saying today. Um, But it's basically the idea that you can proactively kind of change what your job looks like. And of course in an ideal state that could be altering the boundaries of what's included within your job so that might be you know trying to change the task to things that are intrinsically motivating to you, um, trying to change the time that's allotted to things. So that's also not possible for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So she also talks about changing your mindset when it comes to the job that you're doing. And actually her original work was looking at hospital group. And she found there was one group of people that just said, Yep, yeah, I I clean rooms. And there was another group of people that said, you know, I'm a healer. Like I'm helping these people get better. And they had changed their total perspective around what they were doing to align with their values and Mm. what it was that brought meaning to them and what they were motivated around. So I think it doesn't always necessarily need to be that you're changing the tasks of your job. It could be changing your mindset around the job. Another example which I love is um, so someone who's you know, an actor, but they also need to make ends meet. So they're a telemarketer. Well, when they're reading their script and talking on the phone with customers, that's an excellent opportunity to be practicing their acting, right? Mm -hmm. Even if that doesn't exactly sound like the same thing. So how can you change your mindset to uh, align with what your values are? But of course the ultimate job craft is just to pick another job
0: is that the reason you know most of the you know organizations worldwide are looking towards more of a value-driven organizations where the employees themselves feel you know uh, feel that like they're adding a value and their values are aligned with the overall uh, objective of the organization
1: yeah i i think so because when people feel like they are taking part in something that's bigger than themselves you're going to tap into something that isn't just transactional you know i go to work and i do this job and i get a paycheck but i this work is what brings me meaning and that doesn't always have to be the case you can find meaning in other ways but if you're able to tap into that you're going to as a company have people who are are working harder, working better, but as an individual, you're also going to feel more fulfilled. So I think it's a it's a win-win.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Hey, recently I you know read one of the articles where it was said that you know uh, someone was asking a question saying uh, uh, you know I my my passion is different from my job, you know, and uh, and my job pays me. So how am I supposed to make passion my mainstream you know and the i guess it's coming from Gary V if you know him you know he uh, he probably said he said that uh, you know if once you realize how much of your following the passion is being funded by your actual job you'll actually start to spend respect, respecting it
1: that's okay <laughs>
0: You know, most yeah. of the people are running behind, you know, I want to make passion, my mainstream. passion, my mainstream. But the moment you realize that the passion is being the, the passion is being funded by your by your job stream, that's where it becomes interesting. And, and you would like to change the things around you, you know, and try to try to look inside you and change change your know, like intrinsic motivation again.
1: Yeah, that's a funny one that you bring up because I I live in Baltimore and there is a museum called the American Visionary Art Museum. And the whole concept of the museum is it's artists who are not uh, like classically trained. And so many of the artists, when you read their bio, it's like they were postal workers or they they all had these jobs that they didn't necessarily find uh, were... Lighting up their passion, but they were seen as just a transactional job that they were able to, you know Do the nine-to-five or whatever that time was to then Channel their passion into something else. So I think there there is times when that works uh, If you aren't able to make money from your passion, but I think the ideal for everyone would be that those those things are aligned
0: Fantastic Hey, coming back to our our topic of discussion of flow again, you know, how do I cultivate flow? You know, if my listener wants to, you know, you already told us about challenges and the skills matching. How do we cultivate this uh, this activity of flow so that we are more often into that flow?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I do is think of yourself as a study participant and the researcher. You know, you mm-hmm. can do your own little experience sampling methodology and start to just tap into, you know, choose different times every day to ask yourself, how am I feeling? What am I doing? Is this making me motivated? Am I feeling, uh, am I coming away from this energized or am I feeling drained after this task? Mm-hmm. And that will help you see what are the, the things that are already inherently bringing you flow that maybe you haven't even recognized or noticed, since flow in and of itself will make you lose track of time and uh, lose that uh, self-consciousness or not even realize that you're bringing attention to it. So that will give you kind of a list of things that these are the parts that make me feel flow of my work, of uh, personal life, right? There might be even chores, I can get into a state of flow when I'm doing dishes because Mm. I just find that it's, well, maybe it's challenging to me. <laughs> <laughs> My husband would agree. He says that sometimes I miss both. Um So seeing what are those things that bring you flow and then starting to try to create more time to devote to those things that bring you flow.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's, that's that, you know, keep just to stop of what you're doing and just be... Just be thinking about what you're thinking. Maybe again, again that connects so much back to what meditation practices are doing these days, where um, where they where we you know just just stop and think about our thoughts, and then uh, you you are sort of able to take in only the positive ones and and push out all the negative ones out, which is which is called wisdom again. So you know that that pretty much connects. Other than that, we were having a discussion about the stillness and you had some interesting interesting ideas about the stillness where you had practiced meditation. Would you like to speak something about that? And if if that relates to the flow, is it able to, you know, is that a method that we can help as a taken a step to move towards flow?
1: That's a great question. Yeah, I Admitted to ash that I haven't been very good at uh, a meditation practice, but That I was reading stillness is the key by Ryan holiday and trying to practice stillness And that's where my idea for take five with Frisia, my little video series came from and I think that Stillness meditation mindfulness. These are all things that can help you have self-awareness of what are the things that I feel energized by? What are the things that, um, you know, I want to do more of? Because without self-awareness, I think you can end up just going through your day quite rote, um, end up doing whatever is asked of you, but not thinking about how does that feel internally and how can you cultivate that within yourself which i think relates to step two which would be first just knowing when you're in flow and then step two being um identifying your strengths so she sent me high he actually said that he thought different people had different uh like natural capabilities for getting into flow and I disagree with that. I don't like that idea. That feels very cynical because then that would mean that you couldn't create that for yourself. Uh, So I think that if you're able to identify your strengths and the things that really get you excited then that's how you'll be able to almost hack yourself into flow. When you're doing those things you'll be more likely to, to get into that mental state of losing time. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Gallup Strength Finder is one. I also really like the VIA Values and Actions Strengths Assessment, which is by Martin Seligman, um, the founder of Positive Psychology. And I like it because it's free. I always like recommending free things. (laughs) Um, But once you identify what are those things that maybe you can do that by yourself through meditation and self-awareness but sometimes it helps to have an assessment and then Mm -hmm. say does that feel accurate to me or not Mm -hmm. Uh, which is
0: your which is your most favorite this pertaining the strength evaluation and identification tool and could you elaborate a little bit more about it
1: sure i like the the via strengths and i can send you the link so that you can add it down below or wherever you add any sort of notes to the podcast um because it goes into all the research behind it um it's a really easy just self-assessment there's i think i think it's 24 different factors or, or values and then they ask questions that you just have to agree or disagree with and they tell you, you know, what are the things that are your biggest strengths? So mm-hmm. what are the things that you're, you're naturally is part of your character? So for uh-huh. me, it's love of learning and curiosity are my two biggest strengths and I've found that to be incredibly true and it's probably the reason that I do what I do.
0: <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> everyone everyone sort of once you once you slow down your thoughts and try to understand why do you do what do you do is is then it all starts to make sense and you know i was uh, i was recently doing a uh, a course on uh, buddhism and modern psychology so where where they were talking about how darwinians natural selection has created us as human beings so think yourself as the creator of this universe and you have to design animals like me and you, whose only job was to pass on the genes to the next generation and nothing else. So so then he talks about is that the genetic codes that I would write would include the first thing is that every time the animal achieves a goal. For example, you know, I, I complete this podcast or I get a new job. He will give me a little bit of happiness, which is a serotonin and a dopamine rush. And then the genes will make sure that those, uh, you know, happiness fades away instantly so you don't get it so the, the longing is still there and that's what that's what buddha said as well whereas there's always an undercurrent of yearning of incompleteness of wanting something more and more and more like a like a like a donut you know after sometime the happiness would fade you would crave another donut that way and the third thing they, he said was that uh, Um, that you know the focus once you're trying to achieve something your complete focus is going to be on that part and not the evaporation of the happiness so for example your your marriage thing your complete focus will be on the on eating that donut or getting that new job and it's not that you know oh i'll get bored in this job or the donut will finish then i'll need craving for more if you look at it you know the the evolution evolution which has happened uh, it has been designed that way and and you know what what's coming out from our discussion and your discussion as well that this natural selection you know uh, doesn't really want us to keep in the state of flow all the time maybe because you know it will it will reach to you know everyone becoming excellent and the and the fight for the opposite gender would you know <laughs> you know it will beca- become more difficult so that is where our brain is always delusional and distracted maybe just a thought
1: yeah, I mean, if it were easy, then everyone would be doing it all the time, True, right? Yeah. So it needs to be something that, that you cultivate and probably, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, a creator wouldn't want us to be in flow all the time because then we're not thinking about uh, having babies procreating. We're thinking about whatever the thing is that we're yeah. doing um, and we're doing it for Its own sake not for the goal itself but the the process that's also an important part of flow and when you mentioned that I was thinking about how you know so many of us don't think of our own lives that way of we are the own creator of our lives Mm -hmm. and how are you designing your life to create the opportunity to have an optimal experience, to get into flow, to use your strengths, to um, use your time in the way that you want to. And I don't feel like that's something that's ingrained in us as we grow up.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of these psychologists that I've been talking to have been talking about the belief system, you know what uh, it's like a, it's like and you know when we are from the age two to age seven uh, we, as we are growing up we ask a lot of questions but you know we ask about you know what is this so if your dad tells you it's a tree you know then you don't go and ask you know question him you know is this really a tree it might be a pen or it might be something else so similarly if a child falls off the bed and looks at the parents the parents are smiling he won't relate that feeling and the thought pain you will relate it to happiness and and that's how our belief systems become where we do not question and those belief systems i i personally believe is coming from you know what your surroundings of how you have grown up and those belief systems being formed and most successful people that i have seen who are you know very good at stage, and very good at what they do had had a had a good upbringing per se you know, and there are a few, few examples where the, there were the challenging scenarios in the lives and still they were successful. But belief system is has a lot to do, uh, has got a correlation to what your state of flow is as well. Wherein you are able to look at what your, you know, uh, inherent, inherent motivation or intrinsic motivation, where it is coming from. And probably then, you know, so I will look at it at three steps, as you already said. Look at my, you know, where is my motivation coming from? What is my strength? And then, is there a step in between before we can reach the flow, or is it that? Motivation, finding strength, and then reaching the state of flow.
1: So you need to create a situation where, well, first you need a goal around what you're working on, and a situation where you're getting feedback on that continually, um, Mm -hmm. so that you are continuing up the path of increasing your skills, Increasing the challenge, increasing the skill, so that you can continue to be in flow and not get into a, a bored state. Um, so there needs, if you're just working on something alone, and you don't have some level of feedback. So for example, like sports are a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, even throwing a basketball, getting a shot, clearly you can tell I'm not a sports person. but that provides feedback of if you're getting better right mm-hmm, so whatever mm-hmm. you are working on you need to create something where you are able to see if you're getting better so that you can continue to test what your skill level is and increase that challenge
0: ah that, that's a good example that you gave of basketball wherein we are getting instant feedbacks on And if I look at this scenario in my personal life as well, you know, once I am getting off the stage after a presentation, I should probably get instant feedbacks and ask for those feedbacks. Because that will probably help me improve as well.
1: Exactly. I'm all about feedback. (laughs) Yeah. And when you mentioned around um, you know, your upbringing and, and what does that mean for flow, I do think there are people who are maybe more naturally go into flow like they've already identified in themselves how to do that but I don't think that it's impossible like everyone should be able to if you take those steps mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, there's there's an interesting study for job crafting you know there were so many studies that showed uh, those people who job crafted were more likely to be happy and of course there's always the question like are they happy so then they job crafted? Like are the type of person who job crafts or they just happen to be more happy. Uh, and so she uh was, was a new ski. <laughs> She actually randomly assigned people to those that would go through a job crafting exercise and those that wouldn't. And it was a double blind study so their supervisors their colleagues didn't know who was in which group and she found that over time the people who actually job crafted and were in that group were more likely to be seen as happy by others even and Mm -hmm. to be rated Mm -hmm. as more uh performing better by others as well as themselves so that's showing that it's not just a type of person or your upbringing, but that if you're able, if your environment uh, encourages that, then you can also get those benefits.
0: So, you know, I, I use this uh, really interesting quote that now you put it, is that, uh, uh, did Steve Jobs design iPhone or iPhone design Steve Jobs? So, you know, <laughs> so you know, because uh, once, once there is a success, then um, people try to, as you mentioned, as well, create that environment around you and your persona becomes like that where, uh, where you are thought as, as this person. And then, you know, perfect thing of job crafting that he created an environment of innovation where a lot of designers, where a lot of thinking were happening. And, you know, probably those, those designers didn't feel job crafted. It was a completely different thing. Or the perception of what job is like at the, you know, the grass is green on the other side is, you know, is one of the aspects.
1: Totally. And what you're mentioning, when other people perceive that, then you can tap into contagion as well, right? So people Mm -hmm. say, oh, this is what I did. And then other people with organization also doing that. And that can create, just amplify the effect.
0: Right. Yeah. Quite, quite interesting now, this how, you know, but uh, any, any recommendations like you just said, if we, if our audience want to do a job, job crafting kind of a work, you know, any, any recommendations that you would give and how they should do that?
1: Well, if you've done your experience sample, then you know the tasks that are motivating you, that are energizing you, and you can write down, okay, what is the percentage of my time that I'm putting towards different tasks, whether they're energizing or not, and then look at what's my ideal state, right? There's And what are the constraints? Because there's probably some tasks that you're never gonna be able to delegate, you're never going to be able to take off your plate, but how can you start to time box and say, okay, these are the tasks that I really don't like. I'm only gonna spend x amount of time doing them of course it needs to be a realistic amount of time because you still need to do those things uh for your most companies to think that you're performing well um but so that you can leave maximum amount of time for the tasks and uh, the responsibilities in your role that are most energizing and most make you go into a state of flow Mm -hmm.
0: Interestingly, I, you know, just today itself, you had a video post regarding Parkinson's some some time law where, uh, could you elaborate more on that? I found that to be quite interesting and that, that sort of suits the conversation that we are having.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was talking about Parkinson's law, which basically says that um, a task takes as long as the amount of time you give it to complete. Mm-hmm. Basically, the amount of time you have available so if you aren't putting a constraint of I only want to spend this much time on these tasks that you don't like you will end up spending as much time as you have doing them and not time spending on the things that you want to be spending time so I I talked about a study in the video I won't go too in-depth there but if you are, for example, reading emails, if you don't say, I'm only going to read emails for 10 minutes, then you could spend an hour looking at your emails and just scrolling through and then looking at, oh, what spam did I get? Oh, let me follow on this link. <laughs> uh, but, you know, going down a rabbit hole. So uh, making sure that you're really creating those, those constraints so that the things that you don't want to be doing aren't taking up all your time because it's a natural human behavior to do that
0: and the organizations have a have a robot to do that isn't it they're called managers you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do think managers play an important part in all of this Um, asking your direct reports what energizes them what parts of their role do they like what parts don't they like because that's going to first of all create that encouraging environment, but also they might you might be able to do something if you're a manager about that. And just as we said, you know, what brings one person flow doesn't bring another person. There might be someone else in the team that loves doing that specific task. There might also be a task that's loathed by all and still needs you to know, get
0: done. <laughs> you know, the point that you the point you that you just made is to ask the employees on, you know, what what motivates and everything. Our previous guest, Mr. Rob Sutcliffe, would you know totally disagree with that. You know he says he says that <laughs> he says that you know uh, we we make up things to tell. It's the environment, it's the situation, and the decisions are already made emotionally. So you know, for example, most of the focus groups which are being done for new product development, you are bringing people in an environment and asking them questions about what they like, what they like in this phone, what they want to do. It's going to be, you know, they don't really reply the correct thing because they do not know. Like Mr. Ford said, you know, if I would have asked, you know, all the people what they want, they would have said, you know, I, they want faster horses because they do not know there's a thing called car altogether. That's
1: <laughs> true, But I think there's a key difference between a focus group who's answering questions about uh, like their consuming behavior or what they want in a product versus what they want for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it comes back to what we were already talking about around self-awareness and uh, tapping into that whether that's through meditation or something else so that you do know what motivates you so I think there is it's on both parts of that relationship for the manager to ask and as an individual for you to have a truthful, honest answer to that of what motivates you because I think a lot of people maybe have never been asked that question or or even thought about it.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Quite quite true, yeah. yeah And you know in in the interview nobody asks you know what's your interest, motivation all about. They're going to be looking at your degrees and your work experience.
1: Exactly, and maybe the things that you're best at are not the things that you're intrinsically motivated to do. And then you've been socialized where everyone says, oh, you're so good at this, and you never stop to think, do I actually enjoy doing it?
0: Right, yeah. so true, so true. Yeah. So, you know, uh, finally looking at the the idea of getting into a state of flow is, is very much linked to, you know, how do we identify our strengths and you know, do you do you think the other's opinion, how how world sees us, is also a factor that you get into a state of flow, or it's just alienating yourself altogether? That you know, it comes from inside, and is there a, is there a relationship here?
1: That's a great question. So, um Me in his TED Talk talks extensively about this. If anyone wants to watch, but he talks about the etymology of the word ecstasy and how ecstasy actually means like removing yourself from your experience and how if you're in flow then you have no attention to put towards like um self-consciousness like what other people are thinking to any sort of distraction and so i think he would say that flow inherently does not include other people it's just Mm -hmm. an experience of yourself but i do think there are probably people who get a lot of satisfaction from that feedback right so they're more likely to want to do something if they are getting feedback that oh your music's beautiful like if people are crying while Mm. you're playing a song that's going to be part of the experience but that shouldn't be the goal of the experience it should be Mm. how you feel internally while doing it
0: so for for example for the actor example his his values would be or the motivation should be to you know get the audience lost into the experience altogether for example so you know So then, uh, you know, what others think about his performance is going to be a factor of uh, the challenge. And then he's going to be putting up his his skill to match that. So, you know, that's where the dots connect. That's true. Yeah,
1: that's interesting how flow can create flow in other people as well. And could that be part of the process?
0: Oh, if if that could happen, that would be fantastic. No, I could just sit at my home and, you know, get my flow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do think you need to be an active participant Mm -hmm. for flow to truly happen. So Csikszentmihalyi also talks about the difference between like pleasure, which is very like passive. So you might get pleasure um, just passively from like eating a donut, like you said. But that wouldn't really create happiness over time.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's what that's what buddha said as well you know the the suffering is endless you know so in the in the first noble truth that he spoke about he said that the suffering is endless and the second thing he spoke about is that at least you know now there is a way out so he, he talks about how you can get escape that suffering altogether
1: it's gotta end on a positive note you can't just say <laughs> <suffering>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was listening to a lot of these uh, how these meditation techniques are being done, and how you know the how how ego is being maintained, and how the ego is being formed. A uh, lot of it has to do with what other people think about you. So you know, that's 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 an intercorrelation, and that, then once you are able to separate yourself from how people are able to think about you, that is where the actual potential of you inside comes out. You know, so similar to what what we have been doing, putting stuff over LinkedIn. So the the barrier is gone. You know, probably you don't really care what people think about, you know, what you do or what you speak about, and speaking out more openly and more often. Because the value is to you know educate everyone, and education should be free. And space, send your thoughts out, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that the more we can find our true selves, the the more diversity of thought there will be in the world, and the more that will continue to push each other to think differently.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in today's session, I'm just going to be moving towards the summary part of our chat now, because, you know, people, people, you know, in this world, people tend to lose their focus for one minute or two minutes and you know we are already 45 minutes in so i don't know how many audience are going to survive till this point but yeah now coming coming to a a summary what we discussed today is that in in order to create an a state of flow we need to have a goal that goal needs to be achieved by having an intrinsic uh, a value that value moving towards that value comes from having that motivation and interesting motivation, what drives you? To figure out what that interesting motivation is, we need to, you know, have those analysis test of the strengths, capitalize on those strengths, and then look at our, uh, you know, the the work. What was that term that you used?
1: Job crafting.
0: Uh, job crafting. Yes. Use the job crafting to get into that spot, and then, voila, you know, you, you know, an iPhone designed you maybe
1: that
0: easy yeah anything that I missed here or or, or you would like to add something
1: no I think that was that was perfect and do your own study on yourself
0: yes Yes. slow down your thoughts probably meditate more follow more stillness and you know because the the more you meditate we are more, more able to drill down into our deeper subconscious and pull out those great ideas ideas like five five minutes with a Frisia, you know, you know, great ideas come out and uh, and great things happen, you know, to just just reiterate to all of our audience, you know, uh, I'm going to be posting uh, Frisia's link uh, over LinkedIn link, and uh, she's very active over LinkedIn, giving out a lot of free knowledge and quality knowledge over there on her LinkedIn platform. And, you know, please feel free to follow her and, you know, ping her, talk to her and gain as much knowledge and spread more happiness around. Closing remarks, please.
1: Thanks, Ash. Uh, I so appreciate being part of your podcast and just the diversity of voices that you bring. Uh, you know, I, I've listened to the episodes, so I appreciate getting to be part of it. Um, and I hope that everyone starts to think differently about the way that they're spending the, their time and the way that they could be. What's that optimal experience for you? What are the things that drive you and how can you do it more?
0: Fantastic. It was it was a real good, great pleasure to have you on Thinking Psychologist Podcast, Prisha. And, you know, if, if you have some more interesting stuff that's coming out, we will be reaching out more to you. And probably our audience would like to listen more from you.
1: Great. Thanks, Ash.